By the way, in case you haven't heard, my brand new book, Feel Good Productivity, is now out. It is available everywhere books are sold, and it's actually hit the New York Times and also the Sunday Times bestseller list. So thank you to everyone who's already got a copy of the book. If you've read the book already, I would love a review on Amazon. And if you haven't yet checked it out, you may like to check it out. It's available in physical format and also ebook and also audiobook everywhere books are sold. We have these social norms around productivity right now, right? Do more in less time. Like how many books are there out there that tell you like, you know, how many more things you can squeeze into a day and how to be uber productive. And so we have an unspoken cultural norm that if you're a productive person, you're a good person. If you're not a productive person, you're a bad person. This episode is all about procrastination. And I'm joined by Professor Fuchsia Sirwa, who is a world leading expert on the field of procrastination. We talk about all things related to procrastination, why we struggle with it, what the consequences of procrastination are, and what is the underlying emotional core of procrastination. By definition, there is no such thing as good procrastination. Procrastination can never be a good thing because there's always harmful consequences attached to it. We don't procrastinate because we have no sense of time. We don't procrastinate because we're lazy. It's going to the source and saying, what is the reason you're procrastinating? We don't procrastinate on things that are fun. Even though I've done loads of research and have written three of my book chapters about procrastination, just having that discussion with Professor Fuchsia was really interesting and I'm actually gonna go back through the edits of my book and add in a few bits just to kind of update it based on this conversation that we've just had. You know, the feeling of being a bad person because you're not productive, that's what happens when you procrastinate. I feel ashamed that I'm procrastinating. And so it makes it difficult to reach out and talk to people and say, I don't really know what to do here. Can you lay this task out for me? Especially if you've already started procrastinating. But that is the best thing to do. Professor Fischer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. So you are an expert in the field of procrastination. Um, and so I wonder if we can start by defining what is procrastination. Uh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a really great starting point because oftentimes people think they are procrastinating and they're not. They're just actually engaging in one of your kind of garden variety forms of delay. Um, and so procrastination is a form of delay, but it's a very specific type of delay. So it's a, a delay that is unnecessary. So it's not like some family emergency came up and you put that task aside that you have to get done done. Um, it's also voluntary. So it's not that somebody told you to stop working on that and work on something else. Um, and it always involves intention, an intended task that's usually important where you said, I'm going to do this. And you might even have a timeline set with that intention. And so we engage in, um, in that type of delay, either starting the task or maybe we start and then we don't complete it. And we do that despite knowing that there's going to be negative consequences either for ourselves or for others. And so that I know it sounds sort of very long-winded, but it's that's what makes procrastination a different type of delay rather than just putting something aside for for good reasons or because you were told to, um, and you know for a task that really isn't that important in the first place. Mm, got it. Um, one thing that I think I think it's in uh, Tim Pitchell's book, "Solving the Procrastination Puzzle." The, the the idea that there is no such thing as a good amount of procrastination. I wonder if you, if you agree with that idea. Yeah, well, so I think, so by the definition I just said, that you engage in unnecessary voluntary delay of an intended task, despite knowing there will be harmful consequences for yourself or others. So if we, um, you know, are taking that definition on board, by definition, there is no such thing as good procrastination. Procrastination can never be a good thing because there's always harmful consequences attached to it. Mm. And what are some of these harmful consequences? So these range, I mean, the things that we think about, you know, 
uh, most commonly, we think, oh, it's going to affect productivity. And, and yes, it does. It affects productivity. It affects performance. So numerous studies have been conducted with students um, over the past few decades. And what we find is that despite the students saying, oh, I do my best work under pressure, <laughs> um, they actually perform more poorly when they procrastinate. Um, so grades are lower. Academic cheating and misconduct is associated with procrastination in students. Um, so those are the sort of things that we tend to think about typically, the productivity and academic performance sort of consequences. But what my research has been looking at over the past two plus decades is actually the health and well-being consequences of procrastination, which is not something we tend to think about. We mm. tend to think of procrastination as a productivity or performance issue, not something that actually is going to impact our, our well-being and even our physical health. Yeah. So what are the health and what, like how does procrastination, <laughs> uh, I can I can imagine it in the sense of, you know, I intended to go, to go to the gym yesterday and then 8 p.m. Roll, rolled up and it was in my calendar and I was like, oh, you know, I'm feeling a bit low energy today. I've got a bit of a pain in my hand. Like, let me just, <laughs> I'll just go out for dinner and have a more relaxing evening. Does that, is that one of the health yeah, that certainly or? that certainly is one of the health-related um, consequences of procrastination. So we can procrastinate on our health-related tasks, like exercising or starting a, a diet or adhering to a diet, um, or even seeking medical help. Um, but that's not it's not limited to that. And mm. I think this is where it gets really interesting too. Is that you know first of all you understand when we procrastinate. We don't like that we procrastinate. It's not something we go, oh, I'm so happy I just procrastinated, right? We feel bad about it. And we actually feel stressed because when we procrastinate, we know that time is ticking. And if we had already a short period of time to finish a task, especially if it's one where there's a really clear deadline involved, um, that stress level is going to go up even mm -hmm. more so. And so there's a high degree of stress. And so on the mental health side, what we see is higher levels of anxiety and depression associated with procrastination, especially chronic procrastination. Um, and if there's higher levels of stress, we know that stress does not do good things for the body, right? Um, it can, in the short run, suppress your immune system. And my research has found that even in young, healthy students, people, um, students who chronically procrastinate tend to experience a higher number of acute um, health-related issues, such as flus and colds that are related to stress, um, insomnia, um, aches and pains, muscle tension, strains, so on and so forth. Um, so there's a higher degree of illness, stress, poor health behaviors, poor medical care seeking. All of these combined then can become, um, you know, cumulatively can add up to uh, a recipe for poor health. Mm. So on the on the point of, you, know, you mentioned depression, anxiety, stress, do we have any evidence as to what direction the causality is? Now, that's a really good question. And I think, you know, I, I think these are dynamic and reciprocal and mutually reinforcing pathways. They have to be. Um, you know, part of that has to do with sort of the causes of procrastination, which are involved in, in mood um, and, and sort of especially negative mood, which I'll, I'll get into shortly. But um, you can imagine, though, that if you're – if you are procrastinating on a regular basis, you're not going to feel good about yourself. You're going to get more anxious. Your levels of stress and anxiety go up because you're worried about the consequences of handing in that report late, you know, of not meeting the deadline for the job application of your dream job. You know, I mean, these sorts of things, not having that conversation with a loved one that might make a huge difference to your relationship and, and the consequences of, of not telling them some truth maybe they need to hear. So all these things sort of weigh on us in the background. And that can contribute to the anxiety and, and potentially also the depression. But when you're in an anxious and depressed state, 
it actually makes you more vulnerable for procrastination as well too. Mm. So you've got, I think, these bi-directional pathways. Um, so it becomes a sort of vicious cycle. Yes, very much so. And do we see any, uh, so we, we, we mentioned the effects of stress in particular on like the negative physical effects of stress. Mm-hmm. Do we see any negative physical effects of like linked with procrastination that are not mediated by stress? I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Yeah, so in terms of the physical health pathway, so this is something I've looked at, actually. I've tried to see, so which are the pathways? So what we know is that any type of behavioral tendency, right? So if we think about, you know, not just a a single procrastination instance, which can create some stress, right? But if we look at the cumulative effect, which is where most of the evidence has focused on to understand these health effects, um, you know, over time, that stress is going to add up. But over time, so can the poor health behaviors. And both of those will work with each other. When we're feeling more stressed, we also tend to not engage in more health behaviors. And when we don't engage in the health-promoting behaviors, it actually increases our reactivity to stress. Um, Another pathway in there that I didn't mention is sleep too. So people procrastinate. I think I touched on it with the students. They tend to have higher insomnia, but there's numerous studies that now have shown that procrastination, especially chronic procrastination, is linked to poor sleep. Sleep and stress get into a vicious cycle very easily too. So the evidence shows a, a bi-directional relationship there. And you can imagine with sleep and feeling too tired, unless you in your example there, I'm feeling too tired to go to the gym, right? So you didn't maybe didn't have a good night's sleep. So that gets put off too. Um, but some of my research has tried to see which of those pathways is the most potent one in understanding the links um, to stress. And we, we recently um, published a study, this is with uh, Tim Pitchell, looking at um, students and their stress and health behaviors and, and illness over time, um, over three time points across the academic year. And even though we did find that procrastination was linked to poor health behaviors and poor health and higher stress at each time point, um, when our statistician, um, Chris, went in and looked, you know, and it's sort of a really interesting model to see, let's test all ba- backwards and forwards models and see yeah. which is the best pathways here, right? And the best, the strongest pathway for explaining that link was stress. Mm, that makes sense. So if someone, so for, for someone listening to or watching this right now, what are some questions that they can ask themselves to see, like, is procrastination really a problem in my life? Are there, I'm, I'm imagining there are so, there's some sort of procrastination inventory that psychologists yeah, would use, yeah. <laughs> but like, well, what are some questions that, that people might find helpful to answer for themselves? Yeah, so you're right. So we do have these uh, self-report inventories, um, and, and typically these are, I mean, there's ones that can measure momentary procrastination, like in an academic setting, for example, um, but there's also ones that get at, as I was saying, a behavioral tendency, which is more like a personality trait. So we can look at per- procrastination or chronic procrastination or procrastination as a personality trait by getting people to, uh, you know, answer these questions. So, you know, things like, um, you know, I'm, I'm always um, saying, uh, I'm putting off things and, and saying I'll do it tomorrow. So, you know, these these types of questions, as opposed to, we also have the opposite, which is, oh, when I get it. Um, a task, I try and take care of it as soon as possible. Mm. Right. So if you don't agree with that statement, you say, no, nah, not too often, then that might also put you at a higher score in terms of um, assessing your procrastination or chronic procrastination level, shall we say. Got it. And so is there, a, presumably there's a correlation between chronic procrastination and 
lack of conscientiousness as the personality trait? Yes, yes. So it, so this um, procrastination sort of as a, a chronic personality style, if you like, or behavioral tendency has been um, linked in and looked at in relation to these big five personality factors. And the two that it was most strongly related to was conscientiousness negatively, um, but also neuroticism positively. Mm. Um, but it's interesting, though, it's not conscientiousness as a whole. So, it, you know, there's there was some initially some debate, well, is it just low conscientiousness? You yeah. know, someone's just careless and they don't plan things. Yeah. Actually, it is just um, one component of um, conscientiousness that tends to be most strongly related to um, procrastination negatively, of course, again. And this is, has to do with the planning component, mm. right? But so some of the other, the discipline and all that, it's not actually... Um, so that strongly correlated. The most strong, strongest component of conscientiousness is the one that has to do with forward thinking and planning. Ah, okay. So people who are not very good at forward thinking and planning or tend not to do it so much also tend to be procrastinators. They tend to be more prone to procrastination, and, and there's yeah. some good reasons for that too. Which are? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we have yeah. suspense, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so... I mean, this is where, you know, Tim and I, about a decade or so ago, you know, looked at the existing research and we, we formulated this new view of, of procrastination as, as being what we call based on sort of a, an issue of temporal mood regulation. In other words, the prioritization of short-term mood regulation over long-term goals. Mm. And the idea here is that when you have a task that's unpleasant or difficult, or maybe there's not anything inherently difficult about that task, but something about that task triggers within you self-doubt, perfectionism, um, negative feelings, you know, basically you're, you're in the same negative state as if that was a horrible task. It may not actually be a horrible task. It's just your interaction with that task that makes it feel horrible to you. So that aversiveness of the task, whatever its source in that relationship with you and the task, is what prompts people to procrastinate. And so we see procrastination. What we suggest is procrastination then is a form of avoiding coping, right? So if you don't have kind of that internal good mood management skills, yeah. right? And you're, no one likes to feel unpleasant, right? Yeah. We don't like anxiety and stress. We want to, we don't want to do something right away, which is why we develop, you know, emotion regulation skills. But if you don't have a good repertoire of those skills or you don't, you're not, you know, you, maybe that, that intensity of that emotion um, related to that task is too high, you might default to procrastination as a way of managing that emo that, um, those emotions. Mm. So that where the prioritization comes in. You now, what's priority is the goal of managing your mood, not achieving that task. Yeah. So you're not thinking about that task anymore. Yeah. You're thinking about right now, I don't want to feel this way. I don't like this, the frustration and the self-doubt and everything else that's coming out. So you take that task, you put it aside. You might even engage in something more pleasurable. And now you've got immediate mood re you know, relief. You've just managed your mood, right? And that is the essence of procrastination. But in doing so, you're not thinking down the road. You're not thinking about the consequences. You're only thinking about right now. You're prioritizing the goal of managing your immediate mood over the goal of achieving your long-term goal. Mm. Is that a, I mean, is is that always a problem? Do you reckon? <laughs> or, <laughs> or is there like a threshold beyond which it, you'd be like, okay, I've got a, I've got a problem here. Well, okay. So I think I think when we talk about intensity of things, so if something's really yeah. just like, I don't know what to do, yeah, if you put it aside, but if in that time putting it aside, you're then trying to find ways to approach that task so it's less 
have an issue for you, yeah. then that's different. That yeah. might be problem solving. That might be initially procrastination. Mm. Um, and this is where, you know, again, we can start splitting hairs here a little bit. So mm. if you, if you're actually got, I, I can't deal with that right now because I'm just too stressed by it. Yeah. I'm putting it aside. I'm going to take a breath. How can I manage that? So now if you go into uh, problem okay. solving mode, see, that's different. Yep. Right. But that's not usually what happens when we do that. We usually are just so much, you know, reinforced from the, the, the positive relief we have of not having to deal with that task. Mm. Because if we put it aside, that we often go on and do other things and, and kind of just forget about it. And Or we go, hey, future me is going to take care of it. Future me is going to have all the self-discipline in the world. Future me is going to know how to manage that stress that I can't manage right now. Right? Future me becomes a superhero, yeah. at least in our minds. Yep. Right? And that's future me tomorrow, next week, next month, whatever the timeline we put it off to. The problem is all we're doing when we do that is we make future me our beast of burden because future me now has to deal with all those unfinished tasks rushing deadlines and all the other stress so everything is, just gets amped up hmm. it's quite a quite a stressful place to be when yes. that happens yeah well this is why we see such high levels of stress yeah um and people who chronically procrastinate do we have a sense of what proportion of people struggle with this so um, it's a great question. I think it's different in different populations, and there's also cultural differences as oh, well, okay. too. Right. Um, so in the student population, it's been estimated that at least occasionally, 80 to 95% of students mm. procrastinate, so <laughs> quite frequent. Um, but 50% do so chronically. Oh, that, wow. That's that, a lot. That is a lot. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. quite a bit, yeah. Um, and that's that's our best guess and, and estimates. And I think one of the reasons it studies so much in students, too, is that, you know, in an academic um, setting, we have clear, you know, guidelines as to when something should be done. Yeah. It's harder to track procrastination when there isn't a clear deadline or it's an internally set deadline. But that doesn't mean that procrastination isn't happening. Mm. So this is why when you look at adult populations – it can range anywhere from 15 to 25%, um, again, depending on where, where the study was conducted. Um, and then you see cultural differences as well, too, um, where some um, cultures are more forgiving and kind of tolerant of procrastination and other cultures are not. <laughs> what sort of cultures are in each, in each, in each camp? So... Um, you know, we've done some international um, research conferences, which is great because we get to see these different perspectives on on, uh, on procrastination. These are conferences that are just on procrastination. And I always tell people, oh, we have them every other year because, you know, we just can't get around to it every year. But that's not the truth. It takes two years to be able to get enough evidence to make things new at each uh, at each conference. Um, so um, some of our colleagues from South America and Peru, basically procrastination is very much like Ah, you know, that's okay, manana, right? Like, <laughs> mm. it's not, uh, it's more acceptable and, and you see it across all levels. So um, so there's more tolerance for, for it there. And then you see other cultures um, and specifically ones where there actually is a lot of research going on on procrastination um, where you can tell that the tolerance is less. And I didn't, I didn't recognize this until we, one of the procrastination conferences a couple of years back. Mm. Um, and um, 
there were some posters that students had out and there were some German colleagues that had the poster out and they were talking about this, um, what they call it, procrastination ambulance. That was a direct, the direct translation. It was kind of like this emergency on wheels clinic for students who were distressed by their procrastination. And so they, you know, they had sort of a regimen for them to go through and they had some evidence to suggest that this regimen that they, that they said, you know, had the students engage with helped decrease the procrastination levels. And I remember with a colleague of mine, and we were looking at the mean levels of procrastination at the beginning and at the end, and indeed they had gone down. But the start levels in terms of mean levels on this this common procrastination scale, the Lay's general procrastination scale, the mean level that students were so distressed about in Germany was well below the North American and the UK means for, for <laughs> chronic procrastination, suggesting that there's probably less of a tolerance in places like Germany and that where punctuality and sort of, um, you know, sort of sticking to deadlines is, is a little bit more valued. Mm, that's interesting. Any, have, you, have you seen any research around sort of like uh, South Asian countries, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, that sort of thing? There was some, there was some colleagues um, at, I think, the most recent conference that were presenting um, evidence um, you know, it certainly is an issue there too. In, mm. in terms of comparing um, mean levels, I don't think that's been done yet. But that—that yeah. that is, I think, an interesting area to look at. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, because I one one thing that's well, one thing that comes to my mind. I don't know. I don't know how like reasonable this is, but sort of uh, propensity to stick to deadlines and like keep to time. Like, you know, in I'm from Pakistan and it's like if you get invited to a wedding and it says 3 p.m., everyone's going to be there by like half past five and the food will be served. The, it'll say the food's being served at four, but it'll be served at seven. And it's just an accepted part of the culture. Yeah, yeah. And yet I went to like one of my English friends' weddings for the first time a couple of years ago. And I just had no idea that 12 o'clock meant like the bride's literally arriving at 12. Oh, oh my goodness. Said, wow, I'm the last person here. I, I, I you know, <laughs> you know, I rocked up at, at quarter past thinking that like everyone's going to be an hour and a half late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wonder if there's some something there around kind of tolerance of, of procrastination. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it could be similarly. I think, so one of the things is, you know, we do sort of look at, on the surface anyways, of procrastination office as a time management issue, which by the way, I will say flat out it is not. Mm. Okay, so the evidence on time management strategies for, for managing procrastination, the evidence is equivocal at best and certainly not long lasting because it's, you know, we look at somebody who's procrastinating, they're not getting their, their tasks done on time, sure. right? So obviously they can't manage their time properly, right? Like, so these are the sorts of su superficial conclusions that we can come to when we see someone who's procrastinating. So. In terms of deadlines and not meeting them, that I think you know there's some similar issues, but it's not necessarily the same, right? So people who procrastinate aren't necessarily not punctual, mm. right? It's a yeah. slightly yeah. different issue there. It, it's time. Both both you know non-punctuality, for example, and procrastination have an element of sort of temporal thinking involved in them, um, but it is it is sort of a different, slightly different kettle of fish. Mm. That makes sense. Um, so. Surely, time management is like the first, the first step, right? So, so okay. So, so, so for example, <laughs> let's say I'm procrastinating. Like, let's I, I don't know. Let's use the gym as an example. If I like, like for me, the first step if I want to get something done is like I'll put it on the calendar. And if it's on the calendar, then I know it's on the calendar. And then if I'm procrastinating from it while it's on the calendar, then I'll I'll take I'll think okay, what's going on emotionally here. But until it's on the calendar, it's it could just be that I just haven't made the time for it. Do you think that's a, a reasonable strategy, or like what am I what am I missing? Okay, here? so I mean, 
I mean, there's different approaches. And I guess my perspective is that, you know, if you take that time management and some of these other approaches, you know, um, you know, self-control, these types of things, mm. they're all, they're all approaching the problem from up here at the superficial level. Okay. Right. They're not actually addressing why. Right. So we don't procrastinate because we have no sense of time. Okay. okay? We don't procrastinate um, because we're lazy. For okay. example, yeah. okay. I mean, one has nothing to do with the other. People procrastinate, get very busy with all kinds of other things that they shouldn't be doing, rather than the thing they should be doing, which is kind of clear evidence there. I think of uh, not being related to, to laziness. Um, but I mean, it's it's going to the source and saying, "What is the reason you're procrastinating?" We don't procrastinate on things that are fun, mm. right? For, yeah, right. We don't procrastinate for stuff that feels good. Generally. That's right. Yeah. We procrastinate on stuff that feels bad, mm. stuff where the mood involved. We're having difficulty. We're struggling with it. We difficult task-related emotions. Yeah. And so the first step then, if you want to be effective, is to actually look at those tasks, those emotions. Mm. Why, you know, you could probe and say, okay, first, I think first is what are you feeling, right? Um, and is it something about the task? Which then maybe you can rearrange or reframe the task to make it less unpleasant, mm. Right. Or how you look at the task to make it less unpleasant. Or is it something about you, right? Is it something that's bringing up old feelings from the past um, that are uncomfortable? Is it bringing up insecurities? Is it bringing up self-doubt? Is it bringing up, you know, perfectionistic tendencies and mm. fear of failure and all these other things, right? Yeah. And so that's the place to start. Because once you start becoming aware of those, then you can start to manage those feelings and and use the strategies that are appropriate for managing the different fe- uh, different emotions involved too. Time management is a bandage solution. Mm. It's not going to actually solve your problem. Um, and if it's something a deeper issue, then you're going to continue to procrastinate anytime you encounter that task. Mm. No matter how much you know, you could actually get tied up in writing to do lists and spending all this time blocking off your calendar instead of doing the thing that you're supposed to do, mm. fooling yourself into thinking that you're actually managing it when in fact you're not. This episode is very kindly brought to you by Huel. I've been a paying customer of Huel since my fifth year of medical school, since 2017. Actually, since before I started my YouTube channel. And I first started using Huel because my life was pretty hectic. I was juggling lots of different things, like medical school and exams, and trying to sort out publication points for my future, like, doctor job applications. And alongside, I was running a business, I was building an app, and I was trying to maintain some semblance of a social life. And so Huel actually came in really handy for that. If you haven't heard of it, it's basically a meal in a shake that contains all of the ingredients that are essential to thrive. It's got a perfect balance of protein and carbs and fats and vitamins and minerals. And these days, the Huel Black Edition is my absolute favorite. It comes in nine flavors. Salted caramel is my personal favorite. And the Huel Black Edition is particularly good because it is a higher protein version than the Huel Original. It was the original that I was using back in 2017, but the Black Edition came out a few years ago. Changed the game because it's 40 grams of protein for 400 calories. I'm trying to get hench, and so I'm keeping an eye on like my protein intake. And it's so nice that I can get that high protein hit as the first thing in the morning. Huel is also very affordable. It comes out to £1.68 per meal for a 400 calorie meal, which is actually way cheaper than most of the other options on the market and certainly way cheaper than other, you know, even standalone protein shakes. Like I said, I've been a paying customer of Huel since 2017. My friends literally make fun of me as to how much Huel I have in the house. And they're like, what? You have all this Huel? I'm like, yeah, it's actually so good. So if you're interested in signing up for Huel, then head over to huel.com forward slash deep 
dive. And if you use that URL, A, it helps us out because then they're keen to sponsor more episodes. But B, you get a completely free t-shirt and a free shaker with your order. So that is hopefully an incentive to use Huel.com forward slash deep dive. And actually, I interviewed the founder of Huel, Julian Hearn, on this very podcast in the very first season. So you can check out that episode if you like. It's got rave reviews, really good episode, all about starting and growing a business. So anyway, thank you so much, Huel, for sponsoring this episode. This episode is very kindly brought to you by Trading212. Now, people ask me all the time for advice about investing because I've made a bunch of videos about it on the YouTube channel. And my advice for most people is generally invest in broad stock market index funds, which is exactly what you can do completely for free with Trading212. It's a great app that lets you trade stocks and funds and ETFs and foreign exchange if you really want to. And one of the great things about the app is that if you're new to the world of investing, you can actually invest with fake money. You don't have to put real money in. They've got a practice mode where you invest fake money and then it actually tracks what the market is doing in real time. So you can see, had I invested £100 into this thing, what would my return have been? X weeks or X months further down the line. Once you've got some comfort with that, then it's super easy to deposit money into your Trading212 account. You can use Apple Pay, like I do initially, or you can use a direct bank transfer. And then once the money is in your Trading212 account, then you can invest it in basically whatever you want. The other really cool feature about Trading212 is their pies feature. So what you can do is you can follow people who've created investing pies. For example, someone might have a pie where, I don't know, 30% of it's Apple and 20% is Tesla and 10% is the S&P 500. And you can follow people on the app and see what pies they've created. And you can see the performance of those pies. And then you can just copy and paste a particular pie into your own account. And so that means like, let's say you've got hundred pounds to invest and you've put 50 of it into the S&P 500, but you want to be a little bit more experimental with the other 50 pounds, you can invest it into a pie where someone else who's generally a pro or someone in their bedroom who just loves the markets has already done all the homework for you. Also, very excitingly, there's a new feature that they've added to the app, which is a daily interest on your uninvested cash. These interest rates may go up or down over time as the economic environment changes, but the cool thing is that you get paid out every single day if you're into that sort of thing. And so if you haven't yet started with investing and you want to give it a go, then you can download the app on the App Store and if you use the coupon code ALI, A-L-I, that will give you a totally free share worth up to £100. It's available on iPhone and Android and you can check it out by typing in Trading212 into your respective App Store. So thank you so much Trading212 for sponsoring this episode. Would it be fair to say that all of these emotions link to fear in some way? Or is that too much of an oversimplification? No, I mean, I think, I mean, fear is often involved. That's a very strong emotion. Um, sometimes, you know, I think it, they, they trigger our, our different fears. But, you know, I mean, this gets more into sort of a philosophical sort of area yeah. in terms of we're talking about what's at the root of all emotions and negative emotions, right? Sometimes it's sadness, right? Um and, you know, that might be a different type of emotional experience, right? Um, and so you, you just don't, you, and you might experience that as a, a deep motivation. I'm just not motivated to do this because it, it triggers a deeper sadness mm -hmm. in you. Maybe something where you're like, why am I doing this at all? Or what's the purpose in my life? Or, you know, like, so that's not fear-based per se, yeah. right? Yeah. So okay. I, I think it can be a full range. Yeah. And often it's a complex range. And, and, and some of the research that... Um, um, one of my former PhD students did also suggest that it can sometimes be mixed. Sometimes we can be both excited about a task and kind of like, oh, I can't wait to do this and really prove myself and at the same time fearful or anxious or nervous about that task. Yeah. Um, and depending on how we manage that balance, you know, and, and I think one of the things that some of the research has shown that people who are prone to procrastination are more sensitive to those negative emotions. Um, the areas of the brain, the amygdala, which is sort of the threat detection center, right? Um, those area, that area of the brain is qualitatively different mm. in people who are prone to procrastination versus those that are not, suggesting again a sensitivity to negative stimuli. Um, and that includes the negative emotions that they have um, around a task.
Yeah, I definitely want to talk more about this emotion stuff. Um, is to what extent is uh, uncertainty or a lack of clarity about the goal or the task? To what extent is that? Does that come into it? Because that strikes me as di- slightly different to the emotion stuff. No, actually, it's it's linked right into oh, it. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, sorry. yeah, good one. I'm, I was going to get to that. That's, thank you. <laughs> no, yeah. So, I mean, so think about it, right? If you have a task mm. that's not well structured, or it's uncertain. What do you feel? Um, well, un- uncertainty, uh, anxiety, stress. Like, yeah, like oh, I'm not really sure what they want. I'm, I'm not really sure. It's a big mountain. It's like. Study chemistry. What a study chemistry. Like, oh, it's, the yeah. textbook's too big. It's eh. emotions. Yeah. Okay, it's not just thoughts, right? Mm. So we can think about things in a way that trigger the emotions, right? It's not necessarily that the emotions are coming first, but the way we think about a task or even the way a task is, is laid out to us. So going back to where I said, okay, you know, what's the first thing to do? Well, probe the emotions. What are you feeling? I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed by this task because it's so big and it's so uncertain. There's so many moving parts and I have no idea if I'm making progress or where to begin. So that then would identify that something about that task is not clear enough, right? To allow you to engage with it in a way that doesn't evoke these these feelings of uncertainty and stress and anxiety and self-doubt and everything, right? And so then, okay, right, let's get some clarity. Ask somebody, what do I need to do? Can you lay this out? Can you give me sort of a little bit more, you know, detail? And this happens often with tasks that that are new to us that we've not done before. We have no clue. We can relate to them to things we've done before, but then again... There's always that that sort of gnawing uncertainty that is this really what I should be doing, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and so getting clarity around the task, getting structure around the tasks, that brings down all those emotions. And even though it might be the first time doing it, yeah, okay, there's a little bit of uncertainty, but I can manage that little bit of uncertainty versus that large amount of uncertainty because I don't have a clue at all. So that's a really good place to start. Yeah. So what sort of things can people do to, like, if, if let's say, someone listening to this is about to embark on a thing and they're like, they recognize, oh, uncertainty is involved here. Mm-hmm. What are some ways to sprinkle in more clarity into the task? So I think, first of all, getting information, talking to other people. Hmm. Um, and this is often a tough one, especially if someone's prone to procrastination and has found themselves procrastinating because of task uncertainty, yeah. um, because there's a lot of shame around procrastination and a lot of guilt around procrastination. So even though we might have that immediate mood relief, though we know the task is still sitting there and we realize that, you know, we feel bad that we should be doing it. But I think the other thing too that I hadn't spoken about is that, you know, we have we have these social norms around productivity right now, right? Mm. Right? Do more in less time. Like how many books are there out there that tell you like, you know, how many more things you can squeeze into a day and how to be uber productive and, you know, all all these, this, this, type of culture now that really values productivity. And so we have an unspoken cultural norm that if you're a productive person, you're a good person. Mm. If you're not a productive person, you're a bad person. And those norms that, that what we call, um, you know, the feeling of being a bad person because you're not productive, that's what happens when you procrastinate. They're triggered. You know, okay, I'm going against what society expects of me, mm. right? I feel ashamed that I'm procrastinating. And so it makes it difficult to reach out and talk to people and say, I don't really know what to do here. Can you lay this task out for me? Especially if you've already started procrastinating. Yeah. But that is the best thing to do. And I think this is where, um, you know, we're talking about procrastination and, and sort of managing it a little bit too. And, and where to start with things is we also, we need to be aware that being hard on people when they procrastinate or anything that induces that guilt or that shame 
is only going to make people make it worse and make people mm. procrastinate more. So we need to have an open culture where people can come and ask questions without feeling judged. Yeah. You know, and without feeling that that's no, you shouldn't, you should just know what you're doing, even though you've never done this before. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah, reaching out and asking for help first off, or, you know, right when the task is put in front of you, make sure you've got that clarity. Talk to the person. Um, this is actually, I think, one of the reasons why there was not that many studies that went on, but there was a couple of studies that looked at procrastination levels during the pandemic. Mm. And there was a bit of a spike. And one of the reasons I suspect there was like, there's other reasons um, relating to sort of background stress levels, but I think one of the reasons too in, in work environment is that everyone was remote, right? So if you're in an office and you've got this task and you're like, I don't know what to do, yeah. right? You just walk over and you talk to somebody. Mm. Hey, I, I'm not really sure what I'm doing here. It's the first time I've had to write this sort of report. Am I structuring it the right way? Where you get advice on the spot. What happens when everybody's remote? You can't just jump in on a Zoom thing and you know ask them. You could try yeah. and email them, but it's a lot harder to get that yep. instant advice. And so a lot of people were left with doing things and feeling a lot of uncertainty on top of all the uncertainty of living during a really dangerous time, you know, in terms of people's um, you know, security with um, their health and their well-being and their, their economic security and a variety of other things, social connections being cut off. So um, yeah, anyways, I've gone off on a tangent mm. there. <laughs> No, that's so interesting. I think, yeah, just actually getting clarity on on what the task is, what the goal is. I find it useful to understand like the why behind the goal, because yeah. often like a manager or someone will give us a task and they'll have a lot of context in their mind, but without the context, it's easy to go down the wrong route or think, oh, I'm not quite yeah, sure yeah, why yeah. I'm doing this. And yeah. 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 So that, yeah. So that's a really, really important um, starting place is to make sure you've got, you've got some clarity, you know, exactly or have at least enough of an idea and you and you've got the information you need too. Yeah. Right? So you might hey might say, Oh, this is the structure of the steps, but if you don't have all the information to help you complete those steps, yeah. you're gonna get to that spot where you go, I'm not sure what I'm doing now anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right? You know, so you can have clarity at the beginning and then making sure you've got the resources and the information available to you so that if you reach a point where there's a less amount of clarity about what you're doing, you can actually have those resources to to help guide you. Nice. Yeah. Um I mean, for 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 context, like this might be might be interesting for you to hear. Um, so I'm writing one of these uh, productivity books, which oh. I finished yesterday. Uh, wow. handed, handed over to the thank you, handed, handed to the copy editor. Uh, the title is "Feel Good Productivity," and the middle three chapters are about procrastination. And um, prompted by um, my reading of some of Tim's work, which I suspect is also some of your work, just sort of really leaning into this emotional side of procrastination. Mm -hmm. And so the first chapter in the procrastination section is about uncertainty and mm -hmm. so the solution is clarity mm -hmm. the second chapter we're still not entirely sure what to call it initially it was called it was, it was about anxiety or it was it was really trying to get it like the emotional side and this was, it was i think at, at one point we called the chapter fear at some time at, at some point we called it negative emotion and so we're still trying to figure out the naming of that middle chapter but then the final chapter in the procrastination section is um about overcoming inertia and just getting started like taking mm -hmm. that next action step just doing the thing for five minutes because mm -hmm. once you've gotten started with something, it's generally easier to continue going. But it's that middle middle bit that's like trying to address <laughs> all of the emotions, but like in a pithy sounding chapter title. Does anything come to mind while we're here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just yeah, yeah dif difficult difficult emotions. I yeah. mean, I mean, yeah, and that's what they are. They're difficult. Yeah. We struggle with them, right? Um, yeah, but I mean, I would. I mean, that sounds great. I would argue though. 
even though you've put you know uncertainty that's still emotion based yeah. right yeah. um and even at the end just you know i know that's tim's favorite thing just just go like yeah. you know motivation follows action not yeah. the other way around um but um what that does is it short circuits yeah. all the thoughts that can stir up uh, right yes nice. the, the negative emotions um, and so you're still addressing the emotions when that you do that yeah. because you don't give your chance your, your, yourself a chance to basically start going, well, what if I don't get it right? And what happens if it's not perfect? And, oh, I'm never going to do this. And so, and, and those types of ruminative or procrastinatory, you know, types of, of thoughts, they dial up the negative emotions that yeah. are just going to push you further away from that task. So it, they are still tapping into that same Emotional. underground yeah. yeah and so that's why i you know emotional core yeah. well tim and i say like that is that for me that's ground zero nice everything about procrastination ground zero is difficult emotions that we struggle with interesting okay for different I, reasons <laughs> uh, so in in my introduction to part two which is the procrastination chapter uh the, the procrastination three chapters um i have a I'm just going to, if it's all right with you, I'll just like yeah, yeah. run you through my method and you can tell me what you agree with and what you potentially disagree with because we still have like a month to make the final changes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, the way that I've, I'm, I'm trying to introduce this is that we all, we all have these things that we, that, we, that we struggle to do. And society tells us that the solution is like a bunch of different options. So option number one is motivation. This is, you know, if, if you wanted it enough, you would do it yeah, just like yeah. if you wanted if you wanted that thing more than you wanted to breathe then you'll, you'd find a way to make it happen where there's a will there's a way blah 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 blah. yeah no pain no gain right? yeah all of that um and then the but the the issue with motivation is that it waxes and wanes sometimes i feel very motivated to go to the gym other times i don't and so if i'm pegging my going to the gym on motivation it's not particularly sustainable mm-hmm. so then some people would say well the problem is that you're relying on motivation instead of relying on motivation rely on discipline and willpower and <laughs> grit and persistence yeah, and all yeah. of those things. And you'll get like Navy SEALs being like discipline equals freedom. Like, you know, you just got to. Mm. And it's a very sort of warmongering, almost like yeah, yeah, battle yeah, yeah. language around discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what I'm kind of trying to propose or slash explain in these three chapters is there's there's a third method and you know we're kind of calling it the unblock method it's like figure figure out what are the blockers that are blocking you from doing the task and mm-hmm. then just address the blockers and then a at least you'll know what it is and b you won't have to rely on motivation or discipline maybe there's a little bit of discipline just take that that in that that next action step but it's discipline in small doses rather than the entire strategy mm-hmm. and so we're saying that the three blockers are uncertainty anxiety and inertia and if you address them one at a time fundamentally you're addressing the underlying hopefully the thing that's blocking you how does how does that land for you like yeah i mean i think that that sounds all right i again i'm i'm you know i'm very i'm very situated in sort of the uh, and because I've, I've looked at all the, the research and yeah. even the brain imaging research and it all supports you know this this view which is that it's emotions first underneath so what's blocking you yeah but so that's true. So you can move roadblocks, mm. but how did that block up get there in the first place? Right? Mm, yeah. Right? So what brought yeah. that block into being? Yeah. It was- The negative emotions. It was the emotions and, and something about the task, something about yourself. And I see it's, a, it's, an, it's an interaction between you and the task. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. So it's that, that interaction between you and the task that gives rise to these negative emotions that then creates blockages, right? So, you know- um, 
you can start telling yourself that, oh, it's not the perfect time and I've all got to be more motivated. And that's where sort of the, the inertia kind of kicks in. But that we, we keep ourselves stuck in that inertia through the thoughts that keep stirring up these negative emotions. Um, anxiety and fear is there, but there can be other types of emotions too. Yeah. And certainly that hits closer, um, you know, to the core. What was your the first one again? Uh, was- uncertainty. Oh, just, that's just getting clarity over. Yeah, yeah, but that's that. So that's more about the 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 aspects of the task. Yes, quite. Right? Yeah. Um, so something about the task that's eliciting the emotions. The second one is more about, about something within yourself yeah. that's coming up. Yep. And nice. then the last one is more of a okay. So stop doing things that keep stirring up these emotions and just get on with it. Right. So you've got to just short circuit that pathway. Mm. Um, and and engage the positive emotions. And that's what that last strategy does is you're engaging the positive emotions. Um, you know, and we've done some research to, to show that actually it's not just high levels of negative emotions or difficult emotions that drive procrastination. It's also low levels of positive mm, emotions. Nice. Right? So if you, you know, we had a study where we had um, students who had to study over a 48-hour period and we had adults who were trying to, uh, trying to make, um, you know, healthy changes in their life over a six-month period. Yeah. In both instances, what we found is that a people who were prone to procrastinate were less likely to achieve their goals. Big surprise there. Um, but they also not just felt more frustrated and found their 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 you know their goal um, less pleasant, um, but they found it less enjoyable. Yeah. So there's lower levels of positive emotions and those positive emotions that that link between seeing this isn't doesn't make me happy enough, right? Was amplified. If in the presence of temptations, especially Ooh. social temptations. Okay, nice. Yeah. So if there was something, and you can see it's, it's a relative thing. Here's this task I have to do, which I rate really low in terms of how pleasant and how fun and enjoyable it's going to be. Here's this other thing that looks really super enjoyable, and it's going to look even more enjoyable relative to this task. So relative to that, your task starts looking less and less pleasant, and then you're going to be like, I'm not feeling good about this task, and it doesn't look like it's going to bring me any joy. So I'm going to go to the thing that's going to bring me joy. Right. And of course, they procrastinate. Mm. One um, one thing I've, I've often heard in this context is, well, some of us just have to do things that we don't like. Like, I don't like paying my taxes. I don't like paying the bills, but I've just got to do it. Like, mm-hmm. how does that fit into your... Yeah, and I mean, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, most of us will go out and for certain tasks, we we have to do it, and we just do. But in in those instances, I would say there's a couple of things going on. Um, you've realized that you can manage those feelings. You have confidence in your ability to manage those feelings, perhaps because you have a good repertoire of emotion regulation skills. Mm. Right, you're able to find some humor in it. Yep. Right, um, you're able to reframe it in a way um, that's not just unpleasant, but that actually is meaningful. You know, and I, one of my, my former PhD students, she did a really nice experiment to show quite clearly that when you ask people to frame a task that they were at risk for procrastinating in a more meaningful way mm. compared to someone who was just told to write something about the task, and she followed up with them, I think it was like 36 to 48 hours later, they procrastinated on average two hours less just from writing out, this task is important, um, you know, valuable to me because, this task is important for my connecting to others, people because, this task is important for my personal growth because. Yep. Simple things, just finding that meaningfulness um, was enough to actually reduce that that tendency to procrastinate. Some people just have a good, you know, um, range of, of skills or good, they're well-practiced at, at managing those difficult emotions. They might 
might engage in this sort of meaning making, for example, um, or they might, you know, find other ways to um, look at the task in a different way so that it feels less stressful to them. Um, but I think the other thing we need to consider, and this is something that I've just, um, you know, recently written a paper about, um, and I think it's, again, comes on the heels of, of the pandemic and some of that research showing that people procrastinate more, is that sometimes, though, if we, you know, if we think about procrastination as a coping method for dealing with these difficult task-related emotions, yep. right? Um, what happens when, you know, you're in a situation where you've got a whole bunch of other things to cope with, mm. like a pandemic yeah. and the health of yourself and your family and your yeah. financial well-being and job insecurity and uncertainty of when this thing's going to end and all this sort of thing. So that's going to eat up all your coping resources or most of them. Yeah. And now you've got this nasty report that you've never written before. You're not uncertainty. You don't know what you're doing. You can't go over and ask somebody at the desk because you're working remotely. And what are you going to do? Well, quick and easy, dirty method it works. You're going to procrastinate it, yep. right? You've just managed your mood, and you've saved, you know, you know, basically protected those coping resources, those limited coping resources you have to deal with all the other big background stuff. Yep. Um, and that's, I think, the other thing we have to think about too. Sometimes we may find ourselves procrastinating because there's a lot of background stress going on in our lives, um, and it just becomes. A, a convenient way, although albeit not a great way, mm. of, of dealing with things. Um, and, you know, from that perspective, I think that's where we need to be compassionate, you know, both to ourselves and, and others when we see them struggling with procrastination. Maybe there's something else going on in the background of their life. It's not, you know, strict discipline, do this and just get on with it. There's, yeah. you know, it, it's so many people do this and there's a reason we do it and it's instantly rewarding. Um, it's convenient, especially in circumstances where there is a lot of background stress. And I think we have yeah. to kind of get out of seeing it as a character flaw and instead see it as just simply part of being human. What, if any, is the role of discipline in this? Like, <laughs> what is discipline? Like from a psychology professor's perspective and what's the role in getting things done? Yeah, I mean, so I think this we often kind of conflate discipline with um, self-control or willpower even. And these yeah. are, these are you know, willpower. Now we're getting into the, the realm of philosophy, right? And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, what, what is willpower? Where does, what is the will? Yeah. What is, where does the power of the come from that allows us to sort of move forward on things? And um, I think, you know, with discipline, one way of looking at discipline is that, you know, you set up habits, for yourself and you stick to those habits. So it, it has to do with sort of adhering to a set of guidelines, um, and more generally speaking. Um, willpower is slightly different because it, it, it I, you know, and, and this is something that is hotly contested. I, mm. I remember one evening I sat with a colleague of mine and, and he was like, how come there's no studies on willpower? It's like, well, how do we even define it in the first place? How are we going to measure this thing? It's just this, this, this sort of entity that we yeah. understand is existing as somehow you should just do it and bring yourself forward. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, discipline, all this, you know, from a psychological perspective, is probably the closest construct having to do with self-control, being able to self, which includes being able to self-regulate, mm. which includes being able to self-regulate your emotions, <laughs> right? So it's not just emotions, but thoughts and behaviors, et cetera. Um, but again, I would say that that is another layer on top of it, right? So we can talk about ground zero for procrastination as being some difficulty in managing emotions, yep. right? And all of us, like you said, we all encounter tasks that are difficult. Well, some people have, they bring, they might either 
have less, was it less, um, higher tolerance for those negative emotions, perhaps combined with greater practice and capacity to then just say, yeah, this is uncomfortable, but I'm going to, I'm going to push myself through it. Mm. That's where the self-control comes in. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's, it's an asset. It's a resource you can draw upon when you're struggling with those emotions. Um, and I, I always try to make that clear because you often see, well, people with poor self-control procrastinate. Well, yes, of course, because they're not, they're, they're, they're not easily just giving up on, you know, um, managing those emotions. They're struggling and working through. They're keeping that 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 focus, and mm. they're also, you know, the same areas of the brain that has to do with self control, or also you know, the prefrontal cortex, and that also are involved in um, similar regions, anyways, to being able to think ahead and thinking about the consequences of our actions. We often think of the opposite of self control as being impulsivity, mm. right? So we can't control, we just follow our impulses wherever they go. Impulse shopping, impulse eating, you know, um, nothing. I'm punching away. Impulse eating. I saw the grapes. I haven't had a grape in a while. There you go. But, you know, so so we think of that as being undisciplined, right, or poor yeah. self-control. Um, and, you know, there there's, there's some, um, you know, some research that suggests that, you know, all procrastination is just impulsivity. Well, it's like impul being impulsive doesn't cause you to procrastinate because if that was true, you'd procrastinate on even things that were fun. Yeah, true. Right? So what impulsivity does, it layers over, you've got this task that's difficult, you're struggling with the emotions, you don't know how to manage them. Instead of staying focused on how can I manage these emotions, mm -hmm. if you're more impulsive, you're going to be more easily distracted by things within the environment that yeah. will offer you a quick emotional fix. Got it. Right, and that's where the impulsivity comes in. So it facilitates, um, just as digital distractions and so many other things in the environment do. It facilitates procrastination, but does not cause it per se. An Im an image that's coming to my mind is that it's if if emotions are ground zero for, for, for procrastination, it's almost like the emotions are sort of the 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 hump we have to get over to get started with a task. That's right. And for some people, their level of discipline is, or the or the level of self control is higher than that hump, and so they can be yeah. like, you know what, the hump's there, but like I'm sufficiently self controlled to get over the hump. But for other people, the self control level is below where the hump is. Yeah. And so the only option there is to then actually try and reduce the size of the hump by addressing the emotions and getting yeah developing the skills of emotional regulation. Yeah, that's a cool way to to visualize it. I think you know, I mean, and and that's just it. If you've got that greater degree of, of self-control, you can sit with those emotions and work through them and struggle through them because you're you're not going to be wanting to just avoid, mm. right? Self-control helps reduce the tendency to avoid things, um, and yep. including that those negative emotional um, experiences and, and, and focuses you in on, okay, what do I need to do to manage these emotions, right? So it also helps you kind of say, here's the problem I need to solve. Yeah. Right, and it's still a problem. Doesn't make the problem go away. And and again, it could be as simple as, oh, I've just got to look at this task this way and find a meaningful thing of it. Oh, if I rearrange this task this way, it's actually not that stressful overall. Um, the other thing that, that can happen though, too, and this is like sort of going back to the the ground zero with emotions, and I think it's a really good example of it, is often we procrastinate not because of the emotions we're experiencing right now with that task, they might mm. actually be fairly manageable. Yeah. But because of the emotions that we imagine that we're going to experience once we start engaging with the task. So, ah, okay, yep. 
You know, yes. have you ever been in that situation before where you've had something you're like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know what this is. I've not done it before. Yeah. Oh, boy, this is going to be really hard. This is going to be really stressful. I, I think when I start doing this, I'm just going to get so frustrated. I'm just going to want to give it up. Uh, I'm not even going to start it. Right. Yeah. Um, so that is actually, that's an interesting phenomenon, you know, emotionally, because now what we're doing is we're sort of time traveling yeah. <laughs> and we're doing some emotional time traveling as well. Um, and we're picturing ourselves in the future with this task and trying to, you know, um, sort of um, s- simulate what our emotional experiences are going to be. Big problem with that, right? Um, that, by the way, is that that particular phenomenon is called effective forecasting. And the problem with that is that numerous science, scientific studies have shown that as human beings, we're terrible at actually being able to predict um, accurately our emotional states. Yep. We tend to um, see those emotional states as being way more intense than what they're going to be and mm. lasting way lo- longer than what they're going to be too. Yep. Um, and so that becomes a bit of an issue as well, as I call making emotional mountains out of molehills, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's usually not that bad once you get started, but it's easy to convince yourself it's going to be really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's but what we're, what we're doing is we're experiencing those emotions. We're time traveling ahead yep. and thinking that those emotional states are going to be really difficult. And, and they never really are, mostly because we forget about something that I really love the label of this. We forget about our emotional immune system. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, which is this idea that, um, when we're in a difficult situation, we naturally bring to bear a number of internal and external um, coping resources. So we might bring our sense of humor in to deal with it. We might know, you know, you know, call a friend kind of thing. Mm. Um, and those coping resources, which is part of our sort of emotional um, immune response, if you like, help bring down the intensity and the duration of those emotional experiences that we might have when we're struggling with the task. Mm. But we forget about our emotional immune system because we don't have the context. We're sort of seeing a sliver of time with this task and we forget about all the contextual elements around it that are going to be there to actually support us and make it actually not anywhere near half as bad as what we're imagining it to be. Mm. Nice. Um, I'd love to move on to talking about the uh, things that we can do if we're struggling with procrastination. But one question before we go there. Um, Is there any evidence that we struggle more with procrastination later in the day? Um, I guess I'm thinking of like the whole ego depletion thing and like uh, the controversy around that. Like if you've just had a... If you're just a high glucose meal, you're less likely to da da da. Yeah, yeah, the whole fatigue thing. Yeah. yeah, so there's still a lot of controversy around that that ego depletion and whether it is actually a thing. And 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 I don't. I think I think um, that's not something I would. I personally, you know, as a yeah psychological scientist would say is is a thing that yeah. actually comes into play. I think fatigue um, can certainly make it easier. Right. So if you think about it, if you've got something to struggle with, these emotions, and you're tired, right, to cope, you're yeah. going to put it aside. Mm. Right. But I don't think we can assume that everyone feels more tired later in the day. Mm. Right. Yeah. Because there has been some work done on morningness and evening, eveningness. Yep. Um, and some people are more tired earlier in the day and more alive later in the day, um, and different diurnal rhythms on that. So I think it has more to do with an individual you know, diurnal rhythms of, of when you, you know, feel more energized than that. If you are more depleted than that, it's going to be easier to put something aside. But are you actually, when you're doing that, I would ask, are you actually procrastinating? Or are you just making a wise choice that, you know what, I'm too tired to do a good job on this right mm. now. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to put it aside. But first thing tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up and do it. And you get up the next morning and you do it. That's actually not procrastinating. Yeah. 
that's just good time management, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah. Oh, just yeah. it just it's just a managing your pri- prioritization yeah. of your goals and your energy levels and everything. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Now, this is very exciting because we have been a paying customer of Shopify for the last several years. We use Shopify to handle the website and also the back end of Essentially, which is our kind of stationary line. And we're also using Shopify as the front end and the back end for a new tech brand that we're now building out. And if you haven't heard of it, Shopify is an incredible platform that lets you basically sell anything online and also in person. It's an e-commerce platform that powers businesses of all sizes, from really tiny businesses all the way to multi-billion dollar enterprises. And even though Shopify is really well set up to power businesses at enormous scale, they've also got a bunch of features that are really helpful for complete beginners or people new to starting a business. For example, they've got the business name generator, which is a free tool that you can use to figure out a name for your business. They've got their starter plan, which is a very cheap and easy way to actually start selling things online. And they've got a bunch of free online courses on their Shopify Learn platform. And those courses give you access to the collective knowledge and experience of loads of successful entrepreneurs from all around the world. So if that sounds up your street, then head over to shopify.com forward slash deep dive, which is also in the video description and the show notes. And that will let you sign up to a totally free trial that will let you see if you've vibe with Shopify as much as we do. So thank you so much, Shopify, for sponsoring this episode. There's that whole theory around um, eat that frog. You know, oh, yeah. if you're struggling with something, just do it first thing in the morning mark. and then you'll have it out of the way. What, it, the whole Mark Twain thing. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's fairly old school, but it's, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that theory? Um, I, you know, works for some, doesn't work for others, right? Mm. Because if you're someone who is prone to procrastination and, you know, your emotion regulation skills are more precarious or more taxed or less developed um, or you're less confident about them, taking on the big thing, it could be just the thing that triggers you to go, no way, mm. I can't do this. It's just too much. You can't, yeah. you can't manage those feelings. And you may need just to step into things yeah. with smaller things first to build the confidence, right? Um, and, and build that, that, that sense that, yeah, I am actually doing things, which is why, you know, taking a large task, building it into small bits, you know, that they always say, well, that works because it builds your confidence. It does that. But more importantly, what it does is it takes away the stress. Yeah. Right, large tasks that are overwhelming seem stressful. Breaking into small bits takes it down to a less stressful, manageable um, bite. And so, for some people, that strategy works. I would say that others that can go in and do the hard thing first. You know, that's that that's kind of like not sitting and letting those thoughts sort of drum up all those emotions. And yeah. those people probably have higher levels of self control as well, so they're probably less prone to be yeah. procrastinating in the first place, anyways. <laughs> nice. Makes sense. So um, what are some of the most effective strategies that you've come across for overcoming procrastination? Um, so there's a couple of different approaches. Um, I think if it's something to do with the task, as we talked about, getting clarity on tasks that are uncertain. If the task is too big and, and isn't structured well, give it some structure, break the task down into small pieces so all these things can kind of bring down and quiesce those you know, potentially high negative or difficult emotions that might prompt you to procrastinate. Um, I think there's other dynamics that go on too, especially once we start procrastinating that are really good to kind of be aware of and, and to, and in terms of when you're trying to manage the the procrastination. And, and so, you know, how you see the task, obviously the meaningfulness we just spoke about, that's a really effective strategy, um, that, that can certainly help. But I think when you're dealing with the task is more, especially with the emotions, and you're really struggling with those emotions, um, an important thing is to actually um, 
you know, not be so hard on yourself. Like don't mm. do anything that's going to generate more negative emotions or throw more layers of negative, difficult emotions onto something yep. that you're already procrastinating because you've got difficult emotions any, in there in the first place, right? Um, so a couple of uh, key strategies, and again, it depends on whether you've already procrastinated or if you're you're struggling with a task, right? So if you're if you're struggling with a task, um, it would say that self-compassion is an effective strategy. Mm. And that's basically recognizing that, you know, um, to struggle with things is part of a learning process, is part of being human, not getting it right on the first time, you know, and that's often people, we st they start things and then they realize, oh, it's not going the way I planned, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I'm and that's, that's when they can abandon it because they've yeah. made a mistake and the perfectionism kicks in and everything. That's when you need to be self-compassionate. Um, and so self-compassion kicks in when we're struggling with our own personal failings, yep. shortcomings, difficult thoughts about ourselves and the task, et cetera. And, and basically, it's just being kind rather than critical, rather than saying, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get this right? You know, <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> right? Um, and recognizing that this is something that everybody does. And, you know, people are tend to be critical, but also they all struggle. And that's just part of being human. And then not getting over-identified with those negative emotions, yeah. right? But keeping them in a mindful, balanced state so that you're not sort of overcome and just sort of sucked into that vortex of negative emotions, which, you know, can be really, really difficult to get mm. out. Um, and the thing with, um, you know, the self-compassionate response there too is it, it, it's not – people have a hard time with it because they think it's like giving a free pass for procrastinating. Mm -hmm. um, they think it means self-indulgence or, you know, all, there's studies looking at this, the, the, the difficulties that people have and why they think, you know, self-compassion is not a great thing. Yeah. Actually, what the science says is that it will motivate you, right? People who don't waste time, you know, just whipping up more of those negative emotions and instead say, yeah, I you know, I'm struggling with this task and I'm at risk for procrastinating. But you know what? I'm not going to get caught up in that. I'm yeah. just going to focus on what I need to do and kind of keep um, going ahead and being kind and changing that internal dialogue, right? Like things we say to ourselves when yeah. we're, you'd never say that to a friend. Like when you go, oh, what's wrong with you? Why can't you get this done? You wouldn't say that to a good friend or someone mm. you cared about, but we so easily say that to ourselves, right? And that really just does doesn't help anybody and doesn't help ourselves. It makes it more likely we're going to um, continue to procrastinate and, you know, same thing applies if, if you have started to procrastinate, right? Being self-compassionate to your procrastination. You're not the first person to procrastinate, nor will you be the last. There's nothing particularly special about your procrastination, so get over it, you know. Just cut the drama, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of get on with things, right? Figure out what you need to do, right? Um, but self-forgiveness has also been shown, um, in at least a couple of studies, um, to be effective. Um, so, you know, it was one study where, you know, they asked students about uh, students who procrastinated studying for an exam, and they asked them to the extent to which they forgave themselves. They followed up with them a couple of weeks later, um, and those who forgave themselves procrastinated less. Mm. And the reason they procrastinate less is their level of negative emotions went down around the task. Yeah. Right? So those yeah. are... It comes back down to the emotions. It comes back. It all comes back to it's ground zero. Okay, emotions are ground zero. It is ground zero. make sure I've got that line in the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on... Uh, easy versus challenging goals as it relates to procrastination? So, I mean, this 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 is where it kind of gets tricky though too. And I think this, for me, I always think about that. Um, I mean, there's a couple of different thing, ways and, and, not, maybe, and maybe I'm not completely understanding the question, but, um, you know, we can always take a goal 
that's challenging and reframe it in a way that's less challenging yeah. to make it easier. And I think that's, yeah. that's part of you know the mental work that we can do before we start. That's mm-hmm. part of the, the preparatory um, um, stuff before we, yeah. we engage with that task. Um, I also think, though, that easy tasks um, tend to be the ones we use to procrastinate on the more challenging tasks, right? So if we've got a bunch of little things we have to do, right? And we know there's this big pressing task and it really does need to be done. It's going to take some time and it's going to take some challenge, but we decide not to engage with that and instead do all these little things. Well, what are we doing, right? Well, we're procrastinating the big task, which was the important one. And we're doing all these little things and we're feeling like, hey, look, see, I'm not lazy. I'm productive, right? We're yep. countering those social norms that we're afraid we're so afraid that we're going to be transgressing by procrastinating, yeah. right? And now I'm going, oh, look, see, I'm a productive person. Look at all the stuff I'm doing. Mm. Yeah, but what you're doing really isn't important, yep. right? Um, and so we can fool ourselves into thinking that. We're also getting a sense of confidence. We're getting a little bit of a mood boost. Mm. So it's a very kind of, I find that a, a very particularly tricky um, way to, uh, well, it's not it's, it's a clever way to, to deal with procrastination, but it's a tricky thing to break out of because you're getting some other types of rewards that are not so apparent yeah. for the procrastination. And and you can go on fooling yourself that you're being really super productive and that you're not procrastinating and yeah. being in complete denial of the fact that, yeah, but there's this thing over here that you're supposed to be doing and you're not really doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have, you, have you come across anything around input goals versus outcome goals? By which I mean, like, uh, the outcome of uh, hit uh, X revenue for my business, which is somewhat outside of my control because it's, like, based on other people giving me money versus I will make 50 sales calls a day. I'll focus on the thing that's within my control rather than focusing on the outcome that's outside of my control. Yeah, so I think that that, that aligns with some of the research that's been done on on whether the goals are autonomous or not. Mm, yeah. Right? So if, if a goal is feels more controlled... That somebody else is pulling the strings. Yeah. Um, that tends to be the type of goal that we will procrastinate on. Yeah. Right. It, it lacks meaning. Yeah. Right. And and so there's a, a number of different reasons for that. We don't have that that sense of meaning or accomplishment. And that's, you know, and and it can also be if someone else is controlling that goal, there can be fear of disappointing them or yeah. fear, you know. So it, it elicits all those emotions. Whereas when it's something we have a sense of control, we take ownership over that goal. Yeah. Right. It have now becomes immediately meaningful. Um, and the one thing I didn't say about the meaning making before. So yeah, sure, you know, finding meaning in the goals works. But one of the reasons that that um, Cece found it worked in her study was it actually reduced those challenging negative emotions. Mm. So it reduces negative emotions, and I think the other reason it works too is it doesn't now it doesn't make them all go away. I want to make that really clear. So finding meaning isn't going to make you feel like oh, there's no negative feelings I have yeah. about this task. No, those negative feelings are still going to be there, yeah. but now they have context. Now, if I struggle with this emotion, it's important. It's meaningful. It's part of this bigger picture mm. of these larger goals that I want to accomplish, and so. Somehow when we have the context for those negative emotions as being part of a bigger picture, it's okay to work through them. We're less likely yeah. to want to disengage from them because now there's a purpose to them. Yeah. It's, I think it's when we have negative emotions that don't have a purpose. It's just like, I don't want to feel this. Put it aside. Yeah. But now, oh, that negative emotion has a purpose. It's telling me I'm learning. It's telling me I'm becoming stronger. It's telling me I'm becoming better at what I'm doing. Then we're more inclined to want to engage with that and find a way to work through it rather than put it aside and procrastinate. Fantastic. Um, Is there any evidence that 
uh, that our environment has a role when it comes to combating procrastination? Yes. Um, and I think here, this is what I was saying earlier about sort of distractions and things that facilitate procrastination, right? Um, and so, you, you know, you hear a lot of talk about digital distractions yep. and environments that aren't, you know, properly set up to work and productivity. They can be distracting. Um, the reason that you know, what I call, I call these procrastinogenic environments, <laughs> you know, kind of like the obesogenic environment, yeah. right? With all the fast food, the procrastinogenic environment is one where there's tons of, you know, digital distractions and technology and yeah. all kinds of things that are going to pull your focus away from the tasks that you have to work on. Um, and because, or offer a pleasurable alternative, because what those types of environments do, first of all, again, you've got a difficult task. So it's, you know, motions is ground zero there, but when now whether you continue to focus on grappling through those difficult emotions and maybe yeah. finding some meaning or something else or put it aside to do something more fun is going to be driven more by the environment because mm. what happens with these cues in the environment these social cues social media your phone banging whatever check the latest message you yeah. know <laughs> right um and what that does is it offers um it, it focuses you on the goal of managing your emotions right um, and so, right, I can feel better by going to check my social media. I can feel better, you know, if you're working from home and you like baking and you're working in the kitchen. Oh, why not go bake some cookies? Yeah. You know, I mean, so all of these things in the environment, they, they prime our short-term goals yeah. of mood management rather than priming the long-term goals. So if you want to set up an environment that's going to be less procrastinogenic, you've got to remove all these other things that would be pleasurable and would facilitate you disengaging from that task yeah. or avoiding the task to find some immediate mood and maybe help find meaning. So putting meaningful symbols of that task that you're working on. It's a mm. big report or a book. Put things around you. Surround yourself with things that 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 trigger that meaning, that make mm. you think and contemplate the meaningfulness to yourself and to other people, like why it is that you're doing this thing. And that's going to help you sort of drive through without, you know, and again, reducing those those distractions that are going to pull you off task and, and, and make you say, oh, no, my goal is to feel good right now. No, no, your goal is to get this thing done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the um, unreasonably effective techniques that my brother used when he was doing his, he was applying to study maths at Oxford. And there's a lot of practice papers he had to do. So he just changed his like computer wallpaper to be a photo of Oxford. And like every time he turned his computer on, he'd be like, right, let's go. That's <laughs> like right. That That's made right. it more, me I guess, made it, made it more That's meaningful. meaningful, yeah. 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 yeah, he was evoking the meaning of, of that larger task. And that, so that's what you, what you want to do. Um, is there any role in positive self-talk or affirmations, which are often used as like a way of combating negative emotions to deal with procrastination? I guess it depends on how they're targeted. Mm. Um, you know, and, and that's not something that's really been studied much, yeah. um, per se. Um, I mean, I would speculate here to say, you know, it depends on what they're dealing with, you know. So sure. are those affirmations, if you're just layering over some positivity <laughs> on top of negativity, well, then you, you know, you, it doesn't, it's not going to certainly going to do anything because you're not addressing. Hmm. Um, so if it's, if something that is specifically targeting those negative emotions that you have, so maybe it's, you know, around fear or fear of failure or, you know, getting it perfect or displeasing somebody. If, if it's some sort of positive thought that's, yep. that, that tackles that specifically, that might be useful. Okay. But again, I'm, there's not been any studies that have necessarily looked at that. <laughs> nice. That's useful to know. 
Um, I think that covers all of our bases. Um, any any other sort of cures or treatments for procrastination or mitigating strategies that we've not yet covered that come um, to mind? I mean, we didn't we didn't get into the whole future self part of things. Oh, too. the whole like superhero thing. Yeah, I mean, there has been some strategies. Is just if you people prone to procrastination tend to have a weaker relationship with their future self. Weaker as in? Um, they don't feel that close to them. They feel like they're a stranger, which is why it's easy to put them on a pedestal and think they're a superhero because oh. it's, it's no longer like them anymore, right? Yeah. Um, and most of us have difficulty, especially for our future selves, of connecting with them. Some mm. people are very good at doing that, though. But people prone to procrastination, because their focus is so much on the now, have some difficulty with that. And and it's a, I mean, I didn't get into that dynamic, but I think about it. If you're stressed about a task, if you're feeling negative emotions around a task, right, you're activating sort of you know, the sympathetic nervous system, the stress response, the amygdala, threat detection. Everything is focusing your attention to the now. Yeah, It's not focusing it to the future. You need to be in a positive state yeah. to be able to think abstractly and think about the future. Yeah. Um, and so it's a very vicious circle there. And this is why we see the people prone to procrastination. And, and this has actually been shown in fMRI studies. Scans mm. of the brain show that people who chronically procrastinate have deficits in two areas of the brain, one having to do with future-oriented thinking, the other having to do with motion regulation, mm. right? And it's because it's a dance between the two of them, right? You're more stressed. You're thinking about the now, which means you're not thinking about the future. You're not yeah. thinking about the future. Then you know, yeah. Kind so of. it comes down to the emotion thing. Um, <laughs> I guess um, uh, the broaden and build theory. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Fredrickson. So that's engaging positive emotions. Meaning making does that. Oh yeah, yeah. Right? That's that broaden and build is like the core piece piece of evidence that's like backing up my whole thesis for this book. Yeah. So, well, well, because yeah. but but to, to, so what that does is you're engaging the parasympathetic nervous mm -hmm. system, which helps quiesce yeah. the sympathetic nervous system, which has us you know running around stressed and just focusing on you know rushing and yeah just trying to <laughs> deal with immediate threats. Um, and yeah, it, it, there's a few things that you you need to do to be able to engage that system. Breathing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and one thing I didn't talk about is mindfulness, actually. Mm. Um, we did um, publish with some Iranian colleagues uh, a paper this year where we showed for student procrastinators um, an eight-week course of uh, mindfulness training actually significantly reduced their procrastination because mindfulness is a way of managing emotions, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, – and then people earlier, I, I, we did a study showing the people who chronically procrastinate tend to not engage in mindfulness-based practices and tend to score lower on these self-report measures of mindfulness. So that, and that's very much highly related to the self-compassion again. But anything where that manages emotions yeah. um, is going to be effective there. Fantastic. But, yeah. Brilliant. I think that's a great place to end this. Uh, Professor Fuchsia, thank you so much. Um, if someone has gotten to the end of this conversation and they're like, oh, you know, I really want to find out more. Can you recommend any resources, yours or anyone else's, that would be a good kind of starting point or next place to go to after this conversation to help people struggling with procrastination? Yeah. So um, I put together um, last year a self-help book on procrastination that um, goes into a lot more detail on some of the things I touched upon today. Um, it's uh, basically quite simply called um, Procrastination, What It Is, Why It's a Problem, and What You Can Do About It. It's published by um, APA Publishers uh, Life Tools uh, in print. 
Um, and each chapter, I've got exercises that you can go through to sort of test yourself on some of the concepts and actually start to sort of probe some of the emotions and start trying to put some of the techniques I've talked about into practice. Okay, brilliant. And we'll put links to that and also your website and everything down yeah. in the video description and in the show notes so people can feel free to have a browse around if they, if they yeah, would like. Sounds great. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you for having me. All right, so that's it for this week's episode of Deep Dive. Thank you so much for watching or listening. All the links and resources that we mentioned in the podcast are going to be linked down in the video description or in the show notes, depending on where you're watching or listening to this. If you're listening to this on a podcast platform, then do please leave us a review on the iTunes store. It really helps other people discover the podcast. Or if you're watching this in full HD or 4K on YouTube, then you can leave a comment down below and ask any questions or any insights or any thoughts about the episode. That would be awesome. And if you enjoyed this episode, you might like to check out this episode here as well, which links in with some of the stuff that we talked about in the episode. So thanks for watching. Uh, do hit the subscribe button if you aren't already, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.